The Art of Dying Well by St. Robert Bellarmine Chapter 9 The Ninth Precept on Alms Deeds Reader's Note Alms Deeds are the compassionate relief of another's material need for God's sake. Three things are to be explained concerning alms deeds, its necessity, advantages, and the method. And first, no one has ever doubted of alms deeds being commanded in Holy Writ. Sufficient is the sentence of the just and supreme judge, even supposing we had nothing else, which he will pronounce against the wicked on the last day. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me not to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me not to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you covered me not. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And a little lower, Amen, I say to you, as long as you did not do it to one of these least, neither did you do it to me. St. Matthew chapter 25 From these words we may conclude that those only are bound to give alms who have the means of doing so. For even our Lord is not said to have done these works, but only to have ordered out of the money that was given to him a part to be distributed to the poor. Hence, when our Lord said to Judas, That which you do, do quickly. The disciples supposed that our Lord commanded Judas to give something to the poor out of the common purse. But some theologians suppose the precept of alms deeds is contained in the command, Honor thy parents. Others in the command, Thou shalt not kill but it is not requisite for this precept to be contained in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, since all alms deeds relate to charity. The precepts of the Decalogue are precepts of justice. But if all the precepts of morality are to be referred to the Decalogue, the opinion of Albert Magnus, St. Albert the Great, is probable that the precept concerning alms is to be referred to the command, Thou shalt not steal, because it seems a kind of theft not to give to the poor what we ought. But the opinion of St. Thomas seems to be more probable, who reduces it to the command, Honor thy parents. By the word honor is not here understood reverence alone, but particularly the supply of things necessary for existence, which is a kind of alms that we owe to our neighbors especially, as St. Jerome remarks in his commentary on the 25th chapter of St. Matthew. From this we may see that alms ought to be given to others also who may be in want. Moreover, the precept is not negative, but positive and among the precepts of the second table of the Decalogue, none are positive except the first, Honor thy parents. So much on the necessity of alms. 
but the fruits are most abundant. First, alms deeds free the soul from eternal death. Whether this be in the way of satisfaction, or a disposition to receive grace, or in any other way. This doctrine the sacred scriptures plainly teach. In the book of Tobit we thus read, For alms deliver from all sin and from death, and will not suffer the soul to go into darkness. And in the same book the angel Raphael says, For alms deliver from death, and the same is that which purges away sins, and makes to find mercy and life everlasting. And Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to thee, and redeem thou thy sins with alms, and thy iniquities with works of mercy to the poor. Perhaps he will forgive thy offenses. Chapter 4 Alms also, if they be given by a just man and with true charity, are meritorious of eternal life. To this the judge of the living and dead beareth witness. Come ye blessed of my Father, possess you the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me to eat, etc. And he answered, Amen, I say to you, as long as you did it to one of these my least brethren, you did it to me. St. Matthew, chapter 25. Thirdly, alms deeds are, as it were, like baptism, because they do away both with the sin and the punishment thereof, according to the words of Sirach. Water quenches a flaming fire and alms resist sin. Chapter 3 Water entirely extinguishes fire, so that not even any smoke remains. That alms deeds are of this nature, many holy fathers teach, as St. Cyprian, St. Ambrose, St. Chrysostom, St. Leo, whose words it is unnecessary to quote. Such, then, is one great advantage which ought to inflame all men with a love of alms-deeds. But this must not be understood of every kind, but only of that which proceeds from great contrition and ardent charity. Such was that of St. Mary Magdalene, who with tears of true contrition washed the feet of our Lord, and having purchased most precious ointment, she anointed his feet with it. Fourthly, alms-deeds increase confidence with God and produce spiritual joy. For although this is common to other good works also, yet it belongs in particular to alms-deeds, since by them we render a service grateful both to God and our neighbors. And this is a work which is not obscurely, but most plainly, acknowledged to be good. Hence the word of Tobit. Alms shall be a great confidence before the Most High God to all them that give it. Chapter 4, verse 12. And the Apostle in his epistle to the Hebrews says, Do not therefore lose your confidence, which has a great reward. 
chapter 10, verse 35. Finally, St. Cyprian, in his Sermon on Alms Deeds, calls it the great comfort of believers. Fifthly, alms deeds conciliate the good will of many who pray to God for their benefactors and obtain for them either the grace of conversion or the gift of perseverance or an increase in merit and glory. And in all these ways may be understood the words of our Lord, Make unto you friends of the mammon of iniquity, that when you shall fail, they may receive you into everlasting dwellings. St. Luke, chapter 16, verse 9. Sixthly, alms deeds is a disposition for receiving justifying grace. Of this fruit, Solomon speaks in the Proverbs, where he says, By mercy and faith, sins are purged away. And when our Lord had heard the liberality of Zacchaeus, saying, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have wronged any man of anything, I restore him fourfold. Our Lord said, This day is salvation come to this house. St. Luke chapter 19 Finally, we read in the Acts of the Apostles that it was said to Cornelius, who was not yet a Christian, but who gave large alms, Your prayers and your alms are ascended for a memorial in the sight of God. Chapter 10 From this place St. Augustine proves that Cornelius, by his alms, obtained from God the grace of faith and perfect justification. Lastly, alms deeds are often instrumental in increasing our temporal goods. This the wise man affirms when he says, He that hath mercy on the poor lends to the Lord. And again, he that gives to the poor shall not want. Our Lord has taught us this truth by his own example, when he ordered his disciples who possessed only the five loaves and the two fishes to distribute them to the poor. In return they received twelve baskets full of fragments, which served them for many days. Tobit also, who literally distributed his goods to the poor, in a short time obtained great riches. And the widow of Sarepta, who gave to Elijah only a handful of meal and a little oil, obtained from God by this act of charity an abundance of meal and oil, which for a long time did not fail. Many other remarkable examples may be read in St. Gregory of Tours in the fifth book of his History of France, and in Leontius in his Life of St. John the Almoner, and Sophronius in his Spiritual Meadow, the same does St. Cyprian confirm in his Sermon on Alms Deeds, and St. Basil in his Oration to the Rich, in which, by an elegant similitude, he compares riches to water in wells that gushes forth the purer and more copiously the oftener it is drawn out. But if the water should remain stagnant, it soon becomes putrid.
These things covetous rich men will not willingly hear, and scarcely will believe. But after this life they will understand them and believe them to be true, when such faith and knowledge will be of no avail to them. We will now dwell a little on the method of giving alms. For this is especially necessary, that we may live well and die a most happy death. First, then, we must give our alms with the pure intention of pleasing God and not of obtaining human praise. This our Lord teaches us when he says, Therefore, when you do an alms deed, do not sound a trumpet before thee, etc. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. St. Matthew, Chapter 6 St. Augustine, in his explanation of St. John's Epistle, expounds the passage thus. By the left hand is meant the intention of giving alms for worldly honor or any other temporal advantage. By the right hand is signified the intention of bestowing alms to gain eternal life, or for the glory of God and charity for our neighbor. Secondly, our alms should be given promptly and willingly, so that they may not seem to be extorted through entreaties, nor deferred from day to day, if possible. The wise man says, Do not say to your friend, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give to thee, when you can give at present. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 28 Abraham, the friend of God, requested the angels to take up their abode with him. He did not wait to be asked. So also did Lot do the same. And we read that Tobias did not wait for the poor to come to him, but he sought them himself. Thirdly, we should give our alms with joy, not with sadness. Sirach says, in every gift show a cheerful countenance. And St. Paul, everyone, as he has determined in his heart, not with sadness or of necessity, God loves a cheerful giver. Second Epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 7. Fourthly, our alms should be given with humility that so the rich man may remember that he receives much more than he gives. On this point St. Gregory thus speaks. When he gives earthly goods, he would find it avail much in taming his pride, were he to remember and carefully ponder the words of his heavenly master. Make unto you friends of the mammon of iniquity, that when you shall fail, they may receive you into heavenly dwellings. If by their friendship we purchase everlasting dwellings, those that give should doubtless remember that they offer their gifts rather to patrons than the poor. Lib Moral 21 Chapter 14 Fifthly, our alms should be given abundantly, in proportion to our means. Thus does Tobit teach, that most generous almsgiver. According to your ability, be merciful. If you have much, give abundantly. 
If you have little, take care even so to bestow willingly a little. Chapter 4, verse 9. And the Apostle teaches that alms are to be given to obtain a benediction, and not with avarice. St. John Chrysostom adds, Not merely to give, but to give abundantly, is alms deeds. And in the same sermon he says again, that those who wish to be heard by God when they say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy great mercy, ought to have mercy on the poor themselves, according to their means. Lastly, it is necessary above all things, if we wish to be saved and to die a good death, to diligently inquire, either by our own reading and meditation, or by consulting holy and learned men, whether our superfluous riches can be retained without sin, or whether we ought of necessity to give them to the poor. And again, what are to be understood by superfluities, and what by necessary goods? It may happen that to some men moderate riches may be superfluous, while to others great riches may be absolutely essential. But since this treatise does not include nor require tedious scholastic questions, I will briefly note passages from Holy Writ and the Fathers, and so end this part of the subject. The Passages of Scripture You cannot serve both God and mammon. He that has two coats, let him give to him that has none, and he that has meat, let him do in like manner. And in the twelfth chapter of St. Luke, it is said of one who had such great riches that he scarcely knew what to do with them, You fool! This night do they require thy soul of thee. St. Augustine, in the fiftieth book of his homilies, and the seventh homily, explains these words to mean that the rich man perished forever because he made no use of his superfluous riches. The passages from the Fathers are chiefly these. St. Basil in his Sermon to the Rich speaks thus, And you, are you not a robber? Because what you have received to be given away, you suppose to be your own? And a little farther he continues, Wherefore, as much as you are able to give, so much do you injure the poor. And St. Ambrose, in his 81st sermon, says, What injustice do I commit, if while I do not steal the goods of others, I keep diligently what is my own? Oh, impudent word! Do you say, your own? What is this? It is no less a crime to steal than it is not to give to the poor out of your abundance. St. Jerome thus writes in his epistle to Hedibius, If you possess more than is necessary for your subsistence, give it away, and thus you will be a creditor. St. John Chrysostom says in his 34th homily to the people of Antioch, Do you possess anything of your own? The interest of the poor is entrusted to you. 
whether the estate is yours by your own just labors, or you have acquired it by inheritance. St. Augustine, in his tract on the 147th Psalm, Our superfluous wealth belongs to the poor. When it is not given to them, we possess what we have no right to retain. St. Leo thus speaks, Temporal goods are given to us by the liberality of God, and He will demand an account of them, for they were committed to us for disposal as well as possession. And St. Gregory, in the third part of his pastoral care, Those are to be admonished, who, while they do not desire the goods of others, do not distribute their own, that so they may carefully remember that as the common origin of all men is from the earth, so also its produce is common to them all. In vain, then, they think themselves innocent who appropriate to themselves the common gifts of God. St. Bernard, in his epistle to Henry, Archbishop of Seine, says, It is ours. For the poor cry out for what you squander. You cruelly take away from us what you spend foolishly. St. Thomas also writes, The superfluous riches which many possess by the natural law belong to the support of the poor. And again, The Lord requires us to give to the poor not only the tenth part, but all of our superfluous wealth. Finally, the same author, in the fourth book of his Sentences, asserts that this is the common opinion of all theologians. I add also that if one be inclined to contend that, taking the strict letter of the law, he is not bound to give his superfluous riches to the poor, he is obliged to do so, at least by the law of charity. It matters little whether we are condemned to hell through want of justice or want of charity. End of chapter 9